There's a story in the Old Testament. King David saw Bathsheba bathing on her roof, and seeing that she was very beautiful, he took her into his bed. But Bathsheba was married, and her husband Uriah served in the army for King David. Wanting Bathsheba for himself, David sent Uriah to the front lines of the battle, and Uriah was killed. So God sent the prophet Nathan to David, and he told the king this parable. There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. In response to this story, the Bible says David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are that man. I love this powerful little nugget of a story we find in 2 Samuel. It so perfectly illustrates our common human tendency to amplify the sin of others while minimizing our own. David is outraged by what he sees as unjust and cruel, a man taking his neighbor's beloved sheep to prepare for a guest's meal, when he himself had a man killed so that he could marry that man's wife. How often are we prone to judge the sin of others more harshly than we do our own? As you know by now, we're in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount, exploring the portrait Jesus paints of who his disciples should be. Here in the beginning of chapter 7, Jesus calls out a critical, judgmental spirit as nothing other than hypocrisy. Our passage for today is Matthew 7, 1 through 5. Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged, and with the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. For the first century Jews that were Jesus' original audience, this teaching was revolutionary. The culture of the Jewish religion at that time was all about rules. The Pharisees, as we've learned already in the Sermon on the Mount, made a big public show of their law-abiding. They would announce their donations to the poor, pray loudly, and exaggerate the discomfort of their fasting. They, who followed the letter of the law, could look down their noses at the rest of the Jews, who just weren't as devoted or pious as them. Righteousness was defined by how well you could follow the rules. But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is turning the concept of righteousness on its head. Jesus presents a better or true righteousness, 
not one that is based on how well you can obey a list of rules, but goodness that flows out of real humble heart change, resulting in love and grace for those around us. So Jesus tells them, the true righteous disciple does not judge. He says, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is not the only place where the Bible talks about judging others. It's actually a common theme throughout the scriptures. Proverbs 6 names six things God hates, one being haughty eyes. To have haughty eyes means to view others with a sense of superiority, judging others as inferior because of their actions. Paul talks at length about judging others in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. He states plainly in Romans 2.1, You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things, and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. And James declares in his letter, judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. And several chapters later, there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge your neighbor? What scripture tells us is we are not meant to play the part of judge. God alone is judge. And if we go through life with a critical spirit weighing and measuring others based on our barometer of righteousness, we will one day be held accountable for that judgment. As James also wrote in his letter, the judge is standing at the door. So what does Jesus mean when he says in the Sermon on the Mount to judge not? Does that mean everybody gets a pass? I should just accept everyone who, for who they are and ignore the sins of others? Some have taken these verses to argue that Jesus was against all judgment. This has led in part to our modern culture's ethos to live your truth, that we need to just accept everyone as they are. And while Jesus' words here certainly do condemn our haughty eyes or judgment of others, we also have a responsibility as Christians to lovingly correct other Christians in the family of Christ. Actually, it's important to note that in this passage, Jesus is specifically talking about how we relate to fellow Christians. And we know that because he says, why do you see the speck in your brother's eye? Later in the book of Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples, if your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Jesus' intention was for his disciples to grow and mature within a community, iron sharpening iron. So how can we correct our brothers and sisters without making a judgment on their sin? 
Jonathan Pennington in his commentary suggests the cause of this confusion is a translation issue. The word judge typically has a negative connotation today, but the Greek word has a fuller meaning to distinguish, decide, or to pronounce an opinion concerning right and wrong. Pennington argues then that a better translation of Jesus' words would be, do not judge unfairly. He states, the point is not that all evaluations of others and situations must be avoided, but rather that disciples must evaluate and discern properly and fairly. J.C. Ryle, a 19th century British writer, preacher, and Anglican clergyman explained it this way. What our Lord means to condemn is a fault-finding spirit, a readiness to blame others for trifling offenses or matters of indifference, a habit of passing rash and hasty judgments, a disposition to magnify the errors and infirmities of our neighbors and make the worst of them. We also know Jesus was not condemning all judgment because of the verse directly following this passage. Verse six says, do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is one of those verses I read and wish Jesus had given a little more context. But commentators explain that Jesus was referring to people who are opposed to the gospel. In one of his parables, Jesus compared the kingdom of God to a precious pearl found by a merchant. So the pearls in this verse can be understood as God's kingdom or the gospel. Dogs were not household animals in Jesus' day. They were wild, unwanted animals who lived on the streets. Pigs, likewise, were considered unclean by Jewish law. So in this particular verse, Jesus is urging the disciples to use discernment with their evangelizing. He called them not to judge one another too harshly, but also to use wisdom in assessing the hearts and motives of others. It's why he warns against false prophets a few verses later in his sermon. And it's why he told the disciples before they went out into the towns to shake the dust off their feet when leaving a town that didn't welcome the message of the gospel. This helps frame Jesus' intention when he says that we should not judge. As John Stott wrote, Jesus' command to judge not is not a requirement to be blind, but rather a plea to be generous. Next, Jesus further explains what it means to judge others with an illustration. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. As you've probably heard before, the image here Jesus is conjuring up is someone with a wooden beam stuck in their eye, trying to assist someone plagued by a tiny piece of straw in theirs. And by using the eye, Jesus is demonstrating that we cannot view others' sin correctly when we're struggling with our own. In Luke's version of the sermon, Jesus actually asks, can a blind man lead a blind man? You may have seen this funny observation on social media recently that said, being married is mostly pointing out that the other person is always using their phone 
during the small window when you're not using yours. Somehow we have blinders on when it comes to our own bad habits, but those of our spouse or close friends are on full display. I remember Ian in a sermon likening it to driving. When the person in front of us is driving too slow, we might roll our eyes and call them a Sunday driver, maybe inching a little closer in an attempt to speed them up. But if we are being tailed by the car behind us, that driver's a maniac with a road rage problem. We are often more generous to ourselves than we are to others. We excuse or justify our behavior thinking, well, I was just tired or I have a lot on my plate. But others' offenses are seen as behavior they need to correct, especially when those offenses are directed toward us. Ultimately, our attitude toward others can be summed up with Jesus' famous teaching in verse 12 of this chapter. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is it, Jesus is saying. Here is the whole of the law. Treat others as you want to be treated. Pennington again states that this verse beautifully summarizes the way of being in the world that no amount of rules or regulations could ever encompass or hope to promote. The golden rule is not so much a rule, but a vision. It is, it's Jesus' vision for how his disciples would treat one another. We can take this vision and apply it in so many areas of our lives. How would I want someone to view me on my worst day? How would I want to be corrected by a friend? How would I want to be spoken to or about? Would I want someone to hold me to the highest possible standards or take a look at what else was going on and see that maybe while I was wrong, I was struggling with something tough? A popular child psychologist of our day, Dr. Becky Kennedy, teaches parents to better relate to their children, not by merely correcting bad behavior, but by digging deeper into the why behind it. She teaches a method she calls MGI or Most Generous Interpretation. In other words, when I see my child acting out, instead of merely condemning their behavior, how can I stop and employ my most generous interpretation of the situation? So maybe they're resisting bedtime, something that happens in my house quite a lot. But if I stop and ask a few questions, I might find my child is feeling afraid of the dark. Maybe my preschooler won't put her shoes on when it's time to get ready for school. But if I stop and apply my most generous interpretation, I might realize she's feeling anxious about leaving me for school. This doesn't mean I'm excusing bad behavior, but it's giving me some context to respond to my child with kindness and gentleness rather than condemnation and shame. I certainly know there have been times when others have shown me grace in the midst of my bad behavior. I can think of a time when I was running late, as I often am, especially when I have my children in tow. So I was hurrying to pick up my kids from school and get my son to his piano lesson. I rushed in and quickly apologized to his piano teacher, doling out all the excuses I could come up with. Now she could have said, don't let it happen again, or you know, you're really disrespecting my time when you are late, which was true. Instead, she gave me a kind smile and said, Oh, don't worry. You're a mom. I know how it is. 
or when I'm short on patience and I'm huffing and puffing around the house, snipping at my kids for every little thing, and my loving husband comes along and says, hey, you doing okay? What's going on? Most of the time, his kindness toward me immediately softens my heart, often prompting me to apologize and change my behavior. These were small moments when I was shown kindness I didn't deserve. That is grace. And we have all been given life-changing grace in Christ Jesus. Colossians 2:13 and 14 says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Just imagine all the sins you've ever committed listed on a scroll like a list of overdue fines, stamped, paid in full, and nailed to the cross. Jesus took on the entirety of our debt in his death. He paid the price in full and we bear it no more. Think of your worst day or the worst thought you've entertained in your mind. Forgiven and in its place the very righteousness of God. We have been made completely pure by the blood of Christ. We have a tendency to measure ourselves to others, but in truth, the only one we are judged against is Jesus Christ. We have a habit of thinking, well, at least I'm not as bad as them, or at least I don't do that. But when measured against the perfection of Jesus, we all fall, fall short. It's not even close. God is utterly blameless altogether holy, perfect in love, perfect in justice, perfect in mercy, completely holy, without fault. If we were really to take stock of our goodness, we'd find a shocking lack in and of ourselves. Have you ever had a revelation from God about a sin area in your life? I've shared this before, but as a young mom, I thought I was good, or at least I was trying very hard to be. But God came in with his love and mercy and opened my eyes to see my sin. That I was chasing approval in the eyes of the world. I was judging others and myself based on my own barometer of righteousness. I was striving to attain my righteousness by my own good works. But in revealing that sin in my heart, at the same time, God revealed his great grace. That I didn't have to chase perfection because he sent his perfect son to be perfect in my place. When we judge others harshly, we tend to judge ourselves harshly as well. Do you find yourself measuring yourself to others, competing and comparing to justify yourself? Look to Christ. Remember that your debt has been paid. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. I am not perfect but my failures do not define me, nor do they define my brother or sister. I have been forgiven, therefore I can forgive. I have been shown grace, so I can show grace. The richness of the gospel far outweighs any earthly satisfaction of feeling superior to others. That's because God's love is unchanging and unfailing toward us. It will never run out. It's unconditional. It is securely ours forever. 
It's helpful when I find myself judging someone else in my mind to stop and ask myself a few questions. First, where do I see this sin in my own life? If someone snapped at me, when have I spoken unkindly in a moment of frustration? If someone seems to be putting other things before God, what idols do I struggle with in my own life? Also, why am I judging them? Is it a true concern for their heart or to feel superior, to feel some sense of inadequacy or a result of bitterness or jealousy? Examining my own heart in that moment allows me to see what my motives are before speaking up to correct another. I can also remind myself of the truth that my worth is not found in measuring myself against others, but in my identity as a forgiven, redeemed, adopted child of God. When we truly know that identity, when we're walking with the knowledge that we are loved and accepted just as we are, that our past has been forgiven, that our worth is not found in a career or success, in status or wealth or even our relationships with others, but found in being God's beloved child. When we are remembering this truth, we don't need to measure ourselves against others, but we tend to forget. That's why we need to continually be reminded of the truth by reading God's word. When my middle daughter was a baby, I was at Target and to quiet her fussing while I shopped, I gave her a bag of dried strawberries to munch on. So I went about my shopping and I got to the checkout and the cashier remarked on the state of her face, which I suddenly realized was covered in red stains from the strawberries. The stains on her face were quite obvious, but pushing my cart around the store, when I looked at her, all I saw was my precious daughter. The stain of our sin is not hidden from God. He sees it all. But because of Christ's death and resurrection, when he looks at you and me, all he sees is his beloved child. That is what God's grace has done for us. When we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's remember that is how God sees them too. Let us not judge too harshly, but examine ourselves before we correct. We can lean on the help of the Holy Spirit to lead us and pray for God's mercy to become ours. I'll close with a parable Jesus told that we find in Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted.